what are relations like between you and him at present? Um, <clears throat> they're all right, you know. What all does right. all right mean? Uh, <laughs> so I find it fascinating that people find it fascinating, do you know what I mean? It, I haven't spoken to him for a few months, but not like I'm not actively not speaking to him. It's just that we kind of live in each other's pockets while we're on the road, and uh, I kind of just slip back into life when I get back off the road, and Liam does this thing and I do mine, you know? Well, most people think, though, well, it's deep, deeper than that, isn't it? There's all the well-publicised spats that you have and the quotes about not liking each other and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, he doesn't, he doesn't like me. He doesn't? No. Why doesn't he like you? Well, I don't know. You'd have to ask him next time he's on here, wouldn't you? Come on, you know. I don't, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, well, because I'm better looking than him, obviously. <laughs> But I mean, has it always been like that? Was it, was it when you were growing up as kids in, in Manchester, was it like that? Well, because he was, he was five years younger than I, than I am. So when, when I was 15, he was 10. So the, so the age gap was kind of more prevalent then than it is now. But um, <clears throat> I guess because there is a lot of pressure being in, 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 in a group, particularly being in a big group, you know. And um, we kind of fall out on a regular basis. But it's not, it's not anything that's ever put the band in danger. The only people that suffer, really, are the other, whoever happens to be in the band at that point, you know, is the other people in the band. You know, there's been hundreds of them in the past. But do, do, do you wish that could, you could define that brotherly love as it's really generally defined? You know, well, I could define, let's put it this way. If he was getting his head kicked in right now, right, <laughs> I'd probably join in to save him. If I was getting my A, you'd probably join in to save me. I can't say any fairer than that. No, you can't. That was Noel Gallagher speaking in 2006 to the late Michael Parkinson, who passed away on Thursday, aged 88. And I was reminded of that interview by my next guest, Cullen Boog. Cullen, how are you? Jessica. Okay. Uh, there... <laughs> we spoke about Oasis the last time you were on and uh, that interview with Michael Parkinson is class it's the best interview for me Mm -hmm. and I love an interview Jess okay and um, I watched I have watched that interview I would say conservatively 17 times nice and uh, in different iterations and I highly recommend it to anyone listening who hasn't seen it they might have gone down uh, a parky wormhole since the news broke mm. but it's on YouTube it's from 2006 yep. Oasis have just released their best of and uh, Noel Gallagher comes on for 25 minutes there's no performance no musical instrument nothing he just sits down with Parkinson and has a chat they start off with talking about the album mm-hmm. and why some songs were left out versus others that were included um, they talk about the relationship between Noel and Liam because at the time it was on its last legs they had three years to go before they split up and haven't spoken since really. But what's really interesting is that Parkinson starts bringing up their childhood and you see a side of Noel for about 60 to 90 seconds maybe that you'll never see yeah. since. And uh, it's it's really all about Parkinson and his interviewing style and his, uh, was it yourself? Yeah, it was yourself saying to me earlier, his um, fearlessness towards silence. It's it's masterful. So I remember watching it every weekend with my dad. Like we would sit down and we'd watch it. And at the time... Like, I don't know how old I would have been, but you kind of just watch it because it's on the telly and you know that it's entertaining and like dad was laughing and the audience was laughing and there was like, it was an enjoyable watch. But now, and I have, I often go back and watch his interviews. You see his skills as a broadcaster. Like he's not afraid of silence, but he's also, my favourite one was an interview he did with Robin Williams. And Robin Williams comes out larger than life, absolutely manic. Parkinson's not in control at all. 
But at one point, you just see him sit back, fold his arms and laugh because he's happy to embrace it. And there are very few of those interview style shows that allow an interview to breathe. Like I would have loved David Letterman and Conan and all those kind of late night shows. But very often those interviews are like seven to 12 minutes. And it's like, you're on to sell something. Here's a cute anecdote. Goodbye, good luck, good night. Whereas Parkinson had 25 minutes to give to a guest. Mm. And you learn so much. And like the interviews with Stephen Fry were always incredible with Parkinson and with Billy Connolly were always incredible. And uh, yeah, I would, if you've got nothing else to do after the show, go back Mm. and sit down and watch all of his interviews on um, YouTube. Yeah. If you're having a quiet Saturday night, you can liven it up with a bit of parky. He does one with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, which is a treat. Because, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't really do anything. And it was around... I think it was around the time of Gangs in New York, so you're talking 20 years ago. Yeah. And he's on with someone, and for the life of me, I can't remember who he's on with, but he's, he's so interested because Parkinson challenges his method acting mm. and how much Daniel Day-Lewis's method acting impacted his colleagues because how yeah. into the roles he would get. Like, I mean, there's famous stories about all of the roles because he wasn't in that many movies. And, um, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis is unashamedly uh, talking about the wisdom of his own uh, approach, but also says, like, I don't care what actors do to prepare as long as they're prepared. It's mm. very interesting that he got that out of him. And then I think his farewell show, he had, like he's, uh, Billy Connolly, cause did he discover Con- Billy Connolly? Was it, wasn't that? I don't know, but there was like a long-standing, yeah. deep friendship between the two mm. and they deeply respected each other as well. Then he, in his last show, he had Billy Connolly, David Beckham and he had Peter Kay. And what was really interesting about Peter Kay was a bit like the Robin Williams thing it was that Peter Kay is like tough to control because yeah. he's so funny and the audience love him so much that it's like overpowering for whoever else he's on with. But Parkinson had like a fatherly relationship with him and at one stage it's like, calm down, Peter. Yeah. And uh, he kind of was like, oh, sorry, sorry. Because yeah. Peter Kay's like, oh, my mom loves you. So, um, and I don't know what it is because like the way you broke it down there is true. It's like the time and the duration of interviews is like mm. seven to 12 minutes is such a typical kind of modern interview. And I don't know if they just had more time back then because you had like the Johnny Carson stuff as well. I look back on every so often. Yeah. And Dick Cavish, who was an amazing interviewer in America. And Dick Cavish and Parkinson had a huge rivalry and didn't really like each other because I suppose they were direct rivals from across the sea. Um, and I don't know if maybe there was just more time back then. But I then. also think on the BBC because there was no ads as well. Yeah. Like it's the same kind of thing with uh, Graham Norton on BBC. I think the uninterrupted, solely focused and having that multi-guest format is really interesting rather than you coming on to sell something and then going off well, and then yeah. someone else coming on. You know, it, it just, it lets a conversation evolve. I think the Graham Norton show is one of the only talk show type things that I'd actually like now. But you see, I don't think they're deep conversations. I just think they're fun. It's like being in a... Yeah, a so, sorry, I don't mean deep. I mean like as in um, sort of extended conversations yeah. rather than in short hits. Well, no, it is definitely interesting seeing the guests interact with each other and how they yeah. change. Because they all they they always came out together, didn't they, in the Graham no. Norton show? Was oh, it one by Graham one? Norton, it depends. If it was like a super famous person, sometimes they'd come out either on their own oh, yeah, or yeah, else yeah. after. But with Parkinson, he'd have like a main guest and then the main guest they'd would say join. and then guest two would come in. See, that dynamic is fascinating yeah. to me how people change then when someone else comes in. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. It's funny, We I had this conversation with our colleague Joe Malloy about this and it was the day before Parkinson passed away during, oh, no during the week and we just happened to be talking about Parkinson's interviewing style. Yeah. Because Joe loves talking about this stuff and like, so do you and it's really interesting hearing broadcasters 
talk about it as well and like you can't help but I don't know I mean do you take notes from other broadcasters or do you do your own thing because Joe had his own opinions about it uh, I, like no I wouldn't take notes but like I think you're kind of influenced on the media that you consume like you yeah. uh, you'd kind of and we're going to just to let people know you're actually here to talk about podcasts rather than Michael Parkinson although we, I know but this news took over I know I know we could do half an hour on this yeah. but uh but there, I definitely pick up things that I don't like easier than I do pick up things that I do like. Really? Yeah. So what? Uh, what would you dislike most in a in an interviewer? People who don't listen, or actually, you know, my number one bugbear, and I've seen it so many times, either when I'm like at a press junket or in interviews, is when someone has like a list of ten questions and they read through their ten questions without responding to what the guest has just said. Oh my god. Or like, do you remember the COVID press conferences or any press conference for yeah. that matter when a journalist has their shot mm. so they ask three or four questions at a time and I remember specifically at the start of lockdown in the UK when Boris Johnson was bombarded with multiple mm. questions at once so inevitably he would answer the one that's easiest for him to answer and then the best questions are left behind it was like ask short incisive questions Yeah, put them, put your interview in a difficult position if that's what they deserve to be in it's interesting different approaches. Mm. But um, what, a, what a master of his craft like and it's the series that he did with Muhammad Ali like we talked about it during the week mm. and off the wall too. Um, he was just so brilliant at what he did. Just love talking to anyone who's so brilliant and passionate about what they do. I know. One of my regrets a lot of our colleagues on the day he passed away were um, posting pictures because he was in here a few times over the years Yeah, and I never got a picture with him. There's a there is or was a video in our reception area of yeah. him, isn't there? It's like yeah, a best, he was on with PK. Yeah, yeah, he's been on with Pat a few times, and uh, I didn't get a picture. Did you meet him? I think I said hello to him. I'm yeah. not. I wouldn't be one wouldn't. for that now. Oh, you'd be too cool now for that now. No, it's not too cool. I'm just. I'm very introverted. I don't talk to people unless I have I know, to. This would shock people. I don't think so. A lot of broadcasters are a bit introverted. Yeah, we're all weirdos. That's interesting. Uh, people yeah. who talked for a living don't yeah. talk that much. Yeah. I remember my first job out of college, I was a researcher on the Moncrief show mm. and mum and dad always listened to news talk because we're great. Uh, but when I came in and I met Sean, I was kind of taken aback at how quiet, like he keeps himself to himself. Yeah. And then when he's on air, he becomes all jazz hands. But that's quite typical. Like there's a fair few people mm-hmm. in here that are introverts. That oh yeah, just I'm thinking talk of loads in my head. Loads. Sure, all of your uh, colleagues and off the ball, I would say, most of them anyway are fairly No, not all of them. I mean, I don't want to be named names on a Saturday evening. People could be driving and minding their own business and then their name dropped on national radio. But I can think of, of mutual people. I'm telling you with my eyes yeah, right now. No, I about know, there I know. are people who yeah. are just like that off air. Yeah. yeah. But some people who aren't. Yeah. Uh, right, let's talk about the topic at hand. Podcasts. Yeah. Because uh, every Egypt, including this Egypt, uh, has a podcast. And it can be quite difficult to, just for those of you not in the room, he just nodded at me going, yeah, you are in Egypt, thanks so much. Uh, there are so many and it's kind of like that thing where you sit down to watch Netflix uh. and you spend so long scrolling that you couldn't be bothered to actually watch anything so you just go mm-hmm. to bed. And that kind of can happen with podcasts as well. Mm-hmm. So in keeping with our uh, broadcasty conversation and tone of conversation, are you a judgy cow when it comes to podcasts? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't waste my time on something mm-hmm. that's not entertaining me I mean uh, like get off my high horse huh Jesus <laughs> but I mean that's that's how I'd feel I think that's what everyone's like isn't it because 
like you've already alluded to, there's so much content out there that you drown in it. So you have to be picky. But do you discount things based on production quality? No, I wouldn't. Fun- I mean, you could read a lot into this, but yeah. I would be forgiving of sound quality issues. Oh, I'm not. Well, yeah, I've, I actually have a friend of mine who also works in the media. We talk about this a fair bit and he'd be extremely... Um, I suppose, what would you call it? Like, he wouldn't suffer poor audio or no. substandard audio in his mind, but his quality of audio would vary to mine. Like, I would be like, no, that's fine, I can listen to it. I'd be way more, way, way more invested in the content itself and the direction of conversation versus sound. So there have been a few podcasts that have been recommended to me over the years and I've put them on and you know that the content is going to be interesting. But if it sounds like it's been recorded in an empty RDS Hall One, like go away. Like I, I, I'm not able for that. Oh, I don't care. Like if you look, if you listen back to like um, incredible audio over the years, like Martin Luther King's. Um, uh, I had a dream. No, sorry, we're not uh, bringing him into this conversation. We're here to talk about podcasts. Yeah, like crackly, you can't though. bring in. But uh, you know, I'm not like oh geez, I wish the sound. I wish the sound engineer was on his game that day. Well, I kind of do. It would have been great. No, I mean uh, that adds to the character of it. No, no, it's all about what's said, not how it's said. Or, or the sound of how it said. I can't believe you brought up Martin Luther King in a conversation about podcasts. Uh, anyway, so you set yourself this challenge. Yeah. To come you, up with your top three podcasts. Yeah. It's, it's actually tough to rate them, I would say. Now, um, I'm going to start right at the top. I'm going to go Smartless number one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, a friend of mine, Joe Harrington, used to work on Irish Media, now lives in Australia, is travelling Europe as we speak, put me on to this podcast. Yes. So we have Sean Hayes, mm-hmm. you have Will Arnett, mm-hmm. and you have Jason State. No, Jason Bateman. Bateman. I always say Bateman from mm. Jason Bateman. The three lads, and I was like, "Wow, that's a bit of an all-star cast." Wow. Well, I'll definitely listen to it that. And then I went through the list of episodes. Yeah. Um, and I was like, "Geez, these guys! They're getting a lister after a lister on this." And the first one that I listened to was Bradley Cooper. Oh, that was an emotive episode. Because he was talking about, it was actually picked up by a publication, the quotes from yeah. it about his drug problems and all that. And I was like, oh, I never knew he had drug problems. And then I listened to it. And then I thought, ah, it's all right. I mean, I'm a massive Will Arnett fan. So, so that would be my number one. Yeah. And I like the other two. And I like the report that they all have. They're clearly actually friends. Mm-hmm. You can tell, which is a huge thing for me as well, is a genuine rapport between people. And But I did think that interview was at times a bit sycophantic so I thought eh, I'm not sure about this overall so I gave another few episodes a go Yeah. but there are just so many brilliant ones. I, and then I guess we grew up in a time when we were consumer media where like uh, celebrities and A-listers are, are big time celebrities anyway would be kind of otherworldly and like oh they wouldn't be like the rest of us. Yeah. But I think in this world of podcasts they're actually showing that oh, these people have just been given high profiles but they're actually very normal and I think that podcast particularly showcases that. So I... Not to be that person, but I was on it from episode one. Mm. And uh, it was one of the podcasts that properly made me laugh out loud, listen to in the kitchen. Which is a treat. Which is an absolute treat. And they also started during the pandemic. Mm. So like you were talking, the episode where they had Will Ferrell on, they were like, okay, so it's two o'clock in the afternoon now. What are you going to do with the rest of your pandemic day? And he Perfect. was like, well, I'm going to go for a walk and I might do the dishwasher. And, you know, it, it is a bit more insight. And the fact that everybody around that table or that Zoom screen is an A-lister means they all kind of talk the same language and they're all comfortable with each other as well. They mm. know that there's no sort of gotcha journalism at play. Yeah. However, did you watch the TV show? 
the documentary. No, it got sent to me. Don't watch it. Oh no. It's ruined the podcast for me. Oh no way. Yeah, they all come across a little bit dickish. Really? Yeah. It, like in a playing up to the caricature versions of themselves. I watched it when I was on my holidays in June and I haven't been able to listen to the podcast since. No way. Yeah. Go on. I just I don't know, like you kind of see Jason Bateman being a little bit of a prima donna. Like on the stage, and I'm sorry, Jason, if you're listening, which I'm sure you are, but like he's sitting on the stage before the live show and he's all like, you know, it would be like kind of patronizing someone that he was working with, asking for like a coffee and some snacks. And I I just didn't really like it. And you kind of see elements of the vanity and the ego, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it just feels a little bit self-indulgent. And I kind of have the ick now. Damn. Yeah, Sounds. I won't. I'll stay away from it. No, I mean, look, there are times where uh, it would annoy me as well, like, but not to that extent. Like, I think sometimes they're like probably slightly too harsh on Sean. I love Sean Hayes. And, but uh, he takes it very well and he laughs it all. So he, yeah. and he seems to love them. So I suppose it's all all fair in that way. Um, with Arnett can just do no wrong for me because his comic him. timing is just sensational. And Jason, yeah, I like him sometimes because I think they mock him for the questions he asks that, that are a bit like long-winded and yeah, he, he loses really his train know, of he, he doesn't know where he's whatever, going. Yeah. But I kind of find that endearing, and I also like him as an actor. Um, so do I. But just to, I but no, would, that's interesting to hear that, and I, I get what you mean completely. I would steer clear, but I'd love to know what you think. You can email techtalk at newstalk.com if you agree or not. Okay, so that's smart list. That would be on my list, or it would have been on my list. You give me one. Uh, What's your number one? My number one is Conan O'Brien needs a friend. Oh, that was my next one. That was I my number two. Love Conan O'Brien, and we haven't seen each other's lists. No. Yeah. Uh, so go on. I so the premise of this it's not a million miles away from Smartless it's Conan uh, sits down with his assistant Sona and a producer called Matt Gorley and every week they have between 45 and 60 minute chats with different celebrities and it is bananas and what's happened over time because again I've been listening to that one pretty much since the beginning is that the rapport between his team is as important as the guest that he's talking to in some instances. So like the preamble that they have beforehand, sometimes it's a bit self-indulgent, but look, that's the way it is. Uh, but it, it's it's that kind of, you feel like you're sitting around the table of a pub. Like my favourite kind of radio is if we all just imagine we're sitting down in Peter's pub on a Friday evening mm-hmm. having a chat around the table. I love that kind of radio and I love that type of pod- podcast. And that feels like that for me in terms of Conan. And this week he had my all-time fave, John Mulaney on. And it makes me so happy. And the conversations that Conan has, because there has been overlap, obviously, between those who've been on Smartless and those who are on Conan. But I could just listen to Conan for days. Mm. It makes me so happy. It took me a while to be a Conan convert. And a buddy of mine was like, oh, he's one of the funniest people ever. Yeah. And then I used to watch his talk show in clips on YouTube. Yes. And I was like, oh, he's a bit much... And that would be very unlike me to describe anyone as a bit much like. I would be like, well, you know. People in and, glass houses. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And then then the more and more I consumed them, I was yep. like, oh no, he's a genius. This guy's a comic genius. He is a comic genius. And like what I love, because I'm a bit of an SL, SNL obsessive Are type you? person as well. Yeah, love SNL. Love, really? Yeah, so many of the people who so come through it. Uh, no, no, it is now. But like back in the day, yeah. when you can go back and you can curate your own playlist on YouTube of the best sketches mm. and best skits and the inside stories of behind the scenes and all the rest. I just love it. Um, but Conan was a writer there. Then he went to The Simpsons, then mm. he got The Late Night Show. And I just think his journey and his 
progress over his career is utterly fascinating. Yeah, and I mean, also a writer during the peak of The Simpsons, which is... that's The monorail. The, yeah, the monorail. And like l- like watching those classic Simpsons episodes back, you can hear Conan's mm-hmm. jokes, like you can hear them in the characters. Yeah. Um, and also when he took over that um, chat show in the mid-90s, like people hated him. I and he, he had to overcome that. He talks about he that talks quite about a bit. He talks about that regularly about how he overcame the because whole thing. Because he had Bill Hader on the podcast. Yeah, I listened to that one. That's good. Like, it was so good. But Bill Hader talked about, you know, how Conan's show in 93 was kind of the first thing that he and his friends saw as their own cultural thing. Mm. Yeah. And Conan was like, I wish you guys had said that back in 93 oh, because yeah. we were drowning in bad press and people were literally wishing him harm because he wasn't David Letterman. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. I just I think the podcast is great. And the thing about Conan is like he's just, he's ridiculously silly and stupid and really funny, but he takes it all so seriously. But he doesn't take himself seriously, and that's the crucial difference. No, but he's so intelligent, you know. Oh yeah, like oh, you can see how quick he is. But it's just my my favorite things. If I'm ever cranky, which is obviously very rare because I'm just rainbows and sunshine, mm. uh, is mm. to watch uh, to watch Conan and Bill Burr. Oh man, I love Bill Burr so much. Like the accent alone, but the fact that he gets so wound up about things and you always know Conan finds something proper funny yeah. when he like grabs his tummy and like properly yeah. laughs. It makes me so happy. Yeah, and you also know when he's um, laughing to be nice and there's a lit- there's a subtle difference yeah. if you watch him enough. Oh my God, you had a Bill Burr stuff. I've actually watched him so much I can't watch him again. They always come up as a suggestion even though I've watched <sighs> him already. So happy. But Bill Burr and Conan, because they're from the same state. They're both. Um, Massachusetts, Massachusetts yeah. but different upbringings are similar I can't remember uh, uh, well, no, Irish American upbringings yeah but Conan's family were a little bit more well to do yeah and you can tell in there yeah and that that's why I think it, it adds to the comedy is yeah. they've slightly different upbringings but mm-hmm. they can still relate to a lot of what they're doing and and even the John Mulaney recent episode remember you and I were both separately uh, thrilled when it dropped yeah. it was like oh yes excellent we love both of them mm-hmm. I saw John Mulaney at the start of this year in I Dublin it, yeah. and he used to live in Dublin and you know when you like American comedians come over and they talk about Ireland and Dublin mm. guys but he genuinely knew he was on about the new Tesco in Baggett Street and everybody <laughs> lost their mind because he went here for like a semester or something in college so he actually knew his Irish stuff Yeah, and uh, like he was just brilliant like at one point there was one point he did his Al Pacino part because you know like John Mulaney like his huge drug problem was in rehab Watch the special on Netflix Yeah and he he, I was, he was talking about Al Pacino ringing him yeah. and I was like I was literally in pain like actually in pain with tears coming down my face being please don't say another funny word because this might be this might turn horrific like that's how funny he was but the two of them together and how they both vied for attention growing up Mm. uh, in a family full of other siblings it was just brilliant to listen to the things they would do to get attention it was like again you shouldn't be listening to these things in public because you just laugh out loud on your own walking by with earbuds where it might not look like you're actually listening to anything and you're you're just hysterical but in a good way that's what they do and also one more shout I know you have to go Mark Marin. yeah I have a love-hate relationship with him, right? Because mm. I think on his game, he's an absolutely excellent interviewer. He did Killian Murphy recently and it was brilliant. Mm. You know, obviously biased because they talk about Cork a lot and Mark Maron's very you interested Cork, in Cork. Cork. Um, but he takes 15 minutes to get going yeah, and it wrecks my head. So I just skipped the 15, but like, I have no interest in listening to him at the start. Mm. And then he did this one episode with a comedian called Arnie Adams, which a lot of people might not know. He's in this documentary called Comedian, which was set in about 2001, 2002. It's Jerry Seinfeld's documentary that he did right after, only a couple of years after the show Seinfeld ended. Uh And Jerry Seinfeld's a multi-multi-millionaire, but goes back on tour with brand new material and he films himself dying on stage with this brand new material, even though he's he's a complete superstar. 
And then you have Seinfeld who's struggling himself and this newcomer, Arnie Adams, who is just so determined to become a star, but it just does not come across well at all in a documentary. Mm. I highly recommend anyone watching this. It's a guy dying on his feet and so bitter about the fact that he is and he thinks he's better than every other comedian on the circuit and he can't believe that he's not as famous as Jerry Seinfeld. And it's their two journeys coinciding with each other. Anyway, so it's from 2001. What's it called again? Comedian. It's on Netflix still. I've watched it about three or four times and you get something new from it every single time. Highly, highly recommend people watch it. Honest to God, you will not be disappointed by how entertaining this is. So 20 years later, Arnie Adams goes on the Mark Maron podcast and the dynamic between them is electric because Mark Maron can't stand them. Because that documentary went down really badly in the world of comedians. Okay. Especially with Arnie himself because he felt he was depicted very unfairly by Jerry and other comedians were jealous that they weren't covered in a documentary by Jerry and that Jerry focused on Arnie. And the reason that Jerry focused on Arnie is because Arnie was dying so much that it took away from Jerry dying on stage. Really controversial in the world of comedians and the dynamic between this pair 20 years later. Mm. Wow. You you actually get awkward listening to it because it's such a real conversation. Okay, yeah. They like There's genuine hostility between, uh, between them and there's only two of them. And they get over it a bit. And then they go back to it and then they get over it and they go back to it. And I went on Reddit afterwards there's a huge thread on Reddit about it. I have a love-hate relationship with the podcast itself but that Mm -hmm. episode Mark Maron and Arnie Adams from I think it's about this time last year. Okay, that is a good recommendation. I have a recommendation for you. Yes. You still haven't seen Ted Lasso, have you? Mm Mm-mm. Okay, well, we need to fix that. But uh, one of the actors and the writers on Ted Lasso, uh, Brett Goldstein, he has a podcast called Films to be Buried With. Okay. And I think you would like it because you're into your movies and stuff mm-hmm. but I was listening last night uh, I went out for a walk and I was listening to the one with Jason Sudeikis who is love Ted him. Lasso yeah I love Jason Sudeikis yeah. it made my heart so happy oh really yeah like it is such a nice interview and so basically it, it's kind of like a little bit like Desert Island Discs in that it's like the same few questions like each time like it, it's the same formula of an interview but obviously it changes based on the guest so it's like what was the first film you remember seeing what was the film that made you laugh or cry or you know that kind of thing yeah you learn so much about different guests based on their movies and they kind of get to bring in really good anecdotes. Yeah. So uh, Films to be Buried With by Brett Goldstein is definitely definite Yeah, okay, that's right up my street. Yeah, I'll yeah. give it a go. Dude. And he, as good quality guests like of the Jason Stakes of the world. It's kind of a mixed bag. Obviously, since, since he's become more famous, uh, getting more he's more. getting more access to people. But there's a good mixed bag of people like um, Irish comedian Ashley B has been on it. There's oh. been a whole host of comedians because he's a stand-up as well. Uh, but bit by bit, the guest list is getting better. But uh, I found it fascinating and I'm not a movie person. Well, that, well that's a good sell. That's a great sell. They you are. see, I, I'm not even looking for the most famous. I'm just looking for the most interesting. And I would find Jason Sudeikis very interesting. Yeah, no, it is uh, it is a very good listen. Uh, right, if you have any other pod- podcast recommendations for us, uh, email techtalk at newstalk.com. Uh, Cullen Boog, thank you so much. Thanks, Jess.